This evening I'd like to begin with a thought that you are aware of. You understand this as well as I do, but I'm suspecting you did not think about it this afternoon, okay? Probably not something you went home and you and your wife or you and your husband discussed. You probably didn't set your children down and say, kids, let's talk about this, okay? It's, it's something we all know, but probably just not something you were thinking of this afternoon. I want us to think about this truth, this principle, that we usually get out of something to the same extent we put into something. We usually get out of something to the same extent we put into something. How many ways could we illustrate that? Many, many, many different ways. I was thinking about my bike rides because, generally speaking, I enjoy bike rides. But I have two different methods or two different ways in which I do bike rides. I like to ride bikes with Brother John and Brother Randy, and I like to ride bikes with Susie. If you can't imagine already a vast difference between the bike rides, then you're not too familiar with bike riding. See, with Brother John and Brother Randy, here's what I know. We're going to get on the bike, and I'm going to struggle to keep up. I'm going to huff, and I'm going to puff, and I'm going to say, Men, you just go ahead. I know my way home. I'll be fine. Don't worry about me. But based upon what I put into that ride, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sweat, and I'm going to burn calories, and I'm going to work on my cardio. And if everything goes right... Uh, that's what I'm going to get from the ride because that is what I am putting into it. I am putting effort, I am putting energy, and, and I am giving myself to that. However, if I ride with Susie, I'm not putting the same effort into it. It's more of a casual stroll. It's more of a me pausing and waiting for Susie to catch up sometimes and, and, and things of that nature. But what I get out of my ride with Susie is this. I get to ride with my best friend. And we get to have conversation about whatever is going through our minds or whatever may be facing us at that time. And so it, it's something that we're getting out of it, which is completely different than what I'm getting when I ride with the guys. But it's dependent upon what I have put into that ride. So you understand the principle. We get out of something to the same extent we put into it. I like going to the youth center. One of the reasons I enjoy going to the youth center is because of the comical side of it. There are people, and you can tell they are serious about it. They go and they've got their gloves and they've got their belts and they've got this special drink that they're drinking because you'll see them mix it up and they're shaking it up and they're stopping between reps and they're taking their drinks. And, and you know, I'm looking at these people going, man, you're serious. And you can tell by looking at them, they're, they're serious. And I find that comical because I'm not that serious about it. I'm going to be like the old men that I enjoy visiting with at the youth center. They are there, and they've got on the exercise pants, and they've got the sweatbands on, and, and, and they're looking the part as best as 75-year-old men can play the part at the youth center. But, but you know what they're doing most of the time whenever I'm watching them? They're usually leaned up against a, a piece of machinery. 
Every once in a while, they'll sit down, but sometimes you'll have to ask them if they could move so that you could actually use that piece of equipment because they got involved in a conversation there, and they're not really working out anymore. And, and I was there the other day, and the guy said, I've been here for a couple of hours. I'm going to head on home. And I thought, you may have been here for a couple of hours, but your body proves what you have put into the exercise while you've been here. You understand this, don't you? We get out of it what we put into it. It's true in the financial world. It is true in, in so many realms of life. But this is what a lot of people would like to say. Well, I know someone, and that didn't work for them. You ever heard somebody say something like that? Well, I know someone, and they exercised, and they died of a heart attack. Well, I, I, yeah, that happens. Well, well, I know someone, and, and they saved a lot of money, and then something happened, and they lost all their money, and, and so they didn't get out of it what they put into it. I understand those things happen, but what are those things called? They are called the exception rather than the rule. Would you agree with that? That is not the norm. More times than not, we can say this with certainty, that we are going to get out of something to the same extent we put into it. Now think about it from this perspective. Relationships. Relationships. What is probably true by way of principle? It's probably safe to say this, that we will only get out of that relationship to the extent we are willing to put into that relationship. We can sit here silently and act disinterested, but I want us to think about that for just a moment. You cannot expect to get any more out of a relationship than you are willing to put into a relationship. Now see, here's what happens a lot of times. People will say something like this, well, I just don't connect. Well, you know, I just, I, I don't have a lot of friends. You know, I just, I, I'm not close to too many people. You know why that is? Because most people in a position like that aren't putting too much into the relationships. They expect everyone else to be doing the work. They expect everyone else to be reaching out to them. They expect everyone else to be their buddy, to be their pal, to be their confidant, to be that one that they can confide in, whatever it may be. They expect everyone else to be that kind of friend while they sit there like a hermit and, and just wait for everyone to come to them. Well, friends, that's not how it works. That's a scriptural principle. To have friends, you must show yourself to be friendly. So even in our relationships, I don't care if we're talking about marriage, I don't care if we're talking about friendships, I don't care if we're talking about relationships at work, I don't care what it is we are talking about, it is, it is illogical for us to expect to get more from a relationship than we are willing to put into that relationship. Now, as we think on that, somebody may say, well, I've tried that. I, I know you tried. I've tried. 
And not everyone does reciprocate in the same way that maybe you have put forth the effort. But you know what? Most of us have the exact number of friends we've invested in. Most of us have the same, or most of us have an appropriate amount of relationships because that's the kind of effort we have put into relationships. Okay, so, so it's not an accident that we're not getting much out of relationships if we don't put much into them. And it's really not an accident that we have a close friend or several close friends if we give ourselves to those friendships or relationships. Okay, so that in mind, I want us to think about something. Think about the Apostle Paul. He's an amazing character, is he not? You, you think about how God used him in the New Testament writings to influence so many people, to, to think about how you and I, some 2,000 years almost later, we are still referencing the words and the writings of the Apostle Paul. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? What's really interesting from my perspective, at least for tonight's message, is this. It's amazing how influential the Apostle Paul was, and it's amazing how much God used him even to this day in the lives of Christians when you think about, in so many ways, how little we know about the Apostle Paul. We know a little bit about his youth. We know a little bit about his upbringing. We know a little bit about his religious zealous, uh, zealousy or his, his zeal for the things of, of the Pharisaical religion. We understand that, but there is so much about his life we don't know. And so this week as I was putting the thoughts together, I, I was asking myself, what are some of the things that we don't know about the Apostle Paul? Well, one of the things we don't know is this. Was he ever married? Was he ever married? See, some have said, well, in order to be a Pharisee, you had to be married. If you were going to reach that level that the Apostle Paul reached, you had to be married. But yet in 1 Corinthians, what did Paul write to the believers there in Corinth? He encouraged the believers that, if possible, to remain in a situation or a position as himself to not be married. So there would be some conflict on that. So, so maybe some would say, well, he probably was married. And some may say, well, he, he was not ever married or he would not have penned the words that he did. What we, do know th what we do know with certainty is this, that if he was ever married, he didn't brag on it. You know, like, man, did I have a killer wife. Man, was she fantastic. Man, was she a dream. Man, was she something that, that I was proud of and hated it, you know, whenever she was no longer a part of my, my life. Now, I mean, truth be told, if he was ever married, he, he sure never was led to, to tell us about her. It would seem to indicate from the Scripture, since, since there is silence on this subject, that the Apostle Paul never knew the joys of being a father. Now, someone may say, well, you're just speculating. I understand I'm speculating. I'm just saying, based upon the silence of the Scripture as it relates to the subject, he never knew the joy of getting to be a father or a dad to a child, which means he most likely never had the joy of being a grandparent. It's kind of weird. I'm, I'm already not trying to hurry through this stage of life, but I'm already kind of looking forward to that day whenever I get to be a grandpa. 
Some of you have made it look a lot of fun. Others of you have made it look miserable. But for the ones who have made it look fun, I appreciate it because it's something that I kind of look forward to. And Susie and I have talked about how probably pathetic we will be as grandparents in so many ways. And so that is something I'm looking ahead to. And if I look at the Apostle Paul's life, there's a good chance that he never got to experience that. So here's the Apostle Paul, and if he was married, we don't know about it, but we do know this. He certainly never bragged about it if he was. It seems to indicate he didn't have children, which means he wouldn't have ever had grandchildren. If you think about it, we don't know if he had any brothers or sisters. He doesn't talk about them if he does or if he had them. He doesn't mention nieces or nephews. He doesn't mention aunts or uncles. So I got to wondering, what would his family photo look like? What did his family tree look like? Or was it more like a stick? You know, here's my family tree and it's a branch. What did it look like? We don't know. But let's just assume for a moment that he had a large family. Let's assume that he had many brothers and sisters. Let's assume that there were many aunts and uncles, that there were many nieces and nephews, many cousins, grandparents, and, and, and everything of that nature. Just think about if, if that were to be what his family photo looked like, how often would he have seen them? Well, if you read through the scripture, he traveled quite a bit. Now, I promise you we're going somewhere with this. Just stay with me, okay? How often would the Apostle Paul, how often would he have been able to be with his family? Because you certainly didn't travel back then like you travel today. The Apostle Paul didn't get up early on Monday mornings and fly out to his meeting in Corinth or, or come back and fly to his meeting in Galatia or fly to his meeting in Philippi or, or whatever it may be. No, as the Apostle Paul traveled, he would be gone for weeks and months and sometimes over a year at a time. And so if the Apostle Paul did have a large family, if he did have an extended family, he was not able to see them on a regular basis. And I want us to remember tonight that he did not have all the communication available to him that we have today let's just say he had a brother that he was close to theoretically he didn't shoot him a text and say hey how's it going he didn't write him an email with a little attachment of where he was at with a you know a nice little selfie with a beautiful picture in the background that's not how it worked with the apostle paul he couldn't facetime he couldn't skype he couldn't snapchat he couldn't do all these different things the Apostle Paul was able to do this. If he wanted to communicate with anyone, he was able to write a letter. He was able to tell somebody, take this to this location. And he had to trust that the person would actually deliver whatever letter he had penned to whomever he wrote. There was no such thing as instant messaging and instant communication. Now, why do I say all that? I say that to say this. Even if the Apostle Paul had a large extended family, even if there was this big group who identified as Paul's family, he did not get to see them much, which would have certainly meant this. There could not have been a great closeness between him and them because they would have been involved in their lives. They would have been involved in their work. They would have been involved in what was going on with them. And he was certainly very much engaged in what he was doing. Does this make sense? Here's the Apostle Paul. And we know so little about him. But Scripture seems to indicate 
that family was not some key ingredient to his life. Scripture does not seem to indicate that family was kind of the glue that held him and the others in his family together. Obviously, the Apostle Paul would not have been down on family. He would not have been critical of families. But I want us to think about this. The Apostle Paul, again, from what we can tell, he was not a man who was seemingly too close to those you would identify as blood relatives or kin by way of blood. Does this make sense? So imagine for just a moment we could work some magic. Somehow we could time travel and we could go back 2,000 years and we could pick Paul up and we could put him in our little time travel machine and we can bring him back to the year 2015 with us and we could set him inside our Thanksgiving service where we go around and give testimonies of the things we are thankful for. As the microphone came to the Apostle Paul and we said, okay, Apostle Paul, what is it that you had to be thankful for? How many of us think he would have stood up and said, well, I'm thankful for my family. If we're honest about what we know of Paul in the scripture, that seems to be a far-fetched testimony of what he would give. Well, I'm just thankful for my wife. She's been supportive of me all these years as I've traveled and preached the gospel. I'm so thankful for my kids. And I'm so thankful for parents who have supported me all along this way. And I'm so thankful for brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and cousins and nieces and nephews. I'm telling you, I'm just so thankful for the family that God has given me. The family has been a source of encouragement. The family has been a source of strength. The family has been there to pick me up when I was down. Does that sound like a testimony that the Apostle Paul would most likely give? No, not at all. Well, well, then, Paul, I bet you are depressed deluxe because you can't give thanks to God for your family. Paul, when we went back and transported you and teleported you or got you here with our time travel, we didn't even think about your family. I'm so sorry. Do you know, do you, do you know what the Apostle Paul would probably be like? Uh, we're fine. I don't have to have family to be thankful. Now, 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 hold on. He wouldn't be down on family. He would not be critical of family. But again, the suggestion from the scripture seems to be this, is that family was not essential for him to be grateful unto God. Well, How do we know? Well, notice in Philippians. The book of Philippians. Chapter 1. Verse number 3. Familiar portion of scripture to so many of us. What did the Apostle Paul say? He said this. I thank my God upon every remembrance of who? You. He did not say, I thank my God upon every remembrance of my wife or of my kids or of my grandkids or of my parents, cousins, whatever it may be. No, he is writing to a group of believers there in the land of Philippi, in the city of Philippi. And he says, I am thankful unto God 
Every time I remember you, I am thankful for you. Who are the Philippian believers in the Apostle Paul's life? They are people that he had a direct influence in their salvation and in their spiritual development. But I want us to see this, and we'll look at a verse in just a moment. Here is the relationship that Paul had with them. It was not a physical relationship. It was not the blood relationship. It was not mom, dad, cousins, brothers, whatever it may be. But it was a spiritual relationship that you and I might identify like this. That was a part of his church family. Think about this, part of the church family. See, the believers in Philippi, they made up a church. And the church would assemble and the church would gather. And what would the Apostle Paul do? He would teach and he would exhort and he would encourage and he would rebuke. And, and, and he would do all these things in, in relation to the church there in Philippi. And the believers responded and the believers had a good relationship one with another. And the people of Philippi, they have a wonderful, wonderful testimony as you read through the Scripture. And so here's the Apostle Paul and what is he doing? He is reflecting on a church family there in Philippi. And what does he say? He says, I thank God every time I remember you. Not because I can put my arm around you and say, hey, Dad, how are you? Not because I can put my arm around this one and say, hey, sis, how are you? No, I thank my God, not because it is a physical relationship, but because of the spiritual relationship we enjoy as family, as brothers, as sisters in Christ. Well, how do we know? Look in verse number 4. He says, always in every prayer of mine for you making request with joy. Now, verse number five, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. What does Paul say? Paul says it is the fellowship in or through the gospel that we have enjoyed from day one to this point. What brought Paul and the believers of Philippi together? It was not that blood relationship here on earth, but it was that blood relationship by way of Jesus Christ, his blood, the, the blood of Christ that had been applied to Paul's life, the blood of Christ that had been applied to the believer's life in Philippi. It was that spiritual relationship that caused the apostle Paul to say, I thank God for you. Upon every remembrance. So, Paul, we've got you teleported here. We've got you a part of our Thanksgiving service. You've got the mic. You've got the floor. Tell us what you're thankful for. Well, kind of embarrassing, but it's not my family. But it's this church family. And I tell you, every time I think about Philippi, I'm so thankful for them. Every time I think of them and, and, and pray for them, I, I do so with joy. I'm telling you, I am so thankful for the church family there in Philippi for this reason, because of the fellowship that we have enjoyed, because of the gospel from the first day even until now. I'm telling you that if I could go back to Philippi, we would have a wonderful time together. The fellowship would be sweet. The, the, the time together would be wonderful. It would be everything that we would want it to be. That is what I'm thankful for, that church in Philippi. 
Well, Paul, you're kind of lucky to have that kind of relationship with those people. Oh, really? Follow this. Paul did not just accidentally have that relationship with the people. That was a two-way street going there. The Apostle Paul invested. He put into those people. And as a result of his investment in those people in the church in Philippi, guess what he got out of that? He got a return on his investment. He got out of it what he put into it. The joy that he had from his church family and the love that he had from that church family. Everything that he enjoyed with the church family was somewhat dependent upon his willingness to put into to the church family. Someone would say, well, what about Corinth? I bet he didn't feel that way. Yes, we're talking about an exception here. It doesn't always go the way we would want it to go. But I'm just saying, here's the Apostle Paul, and it's not an accident that he is close and thankful for this relationship with the Philippian believers. Paul put effort into it. And that is why Paul got something out of it. Now here we sit, 2015, here we sit very much accustomed to our culture and our way of thinking. And in our culture and in our way of thinking, what seems, what seems, and I want to stress the word seems, what seems to be of great importance to people these days? Family. That that didn't get a real big welcoming uh, to that, but, but it's true. If you don't believe it, start asking people, what are you doing for the holidays this year? What are you doing for Thanksgiving this year? Oh, I reckon we'll get the family together. Oh, I'm sure we'll get the kids together. I'm sure, you know, we're going to try to get the kids together. I mean, that's what we're hoping to do. I mean, if you were to ask me tonight, what are you all doing for Thanksgiving? I'd say this, we're going to be here Thursday, and we're going to be here Friday, and then we're going to come home Saturday. I mean, and and every bit of this is going to revolve around family. That's what we tend to think about in our culture today. What is important during the holidays? It's just important to get the family together. Sounds so good in theory, does it not? Sounds good. But what do most families really look like? They really look like controlled chaos for a couple of hours. I don't want to re-preach what I mentioned this morning, but I want us to just think about this for just a couple of moments. What do so many families look like? So many families look like a group of people getting together who really don't like each other. Dad and mom are just sitting around hoping that the kids will get along with each other even though they're grown-ups. And and, and the dad and mom are thinking, I hope I don't just need to bend them over my knee and whip them. You can just sit here and act like you don't know what you're talking about. I'm a part of a family. Many families are dysfunctional. And many people get together with family at the holidays, but it's not because they really care about family or love their family or have a closeness with their family, but culture says it's what you're supposed to do 
on Thanksgiving Day is get together with family. And there are so many people, If I don't know if people ever say this around you or if they just mumble it under their breath and somehow I attract these comments, but there are so many people who say things like this, I guess we'll get together with the family. Well, try to, just try to conceal your excitement a little bit. I guess they're going to come over. For, I, I hope they don't stay too long. Man, their kids are so wild. I get so sick at how loud they are, and they just scream all the time or whatever it may be. Wish I was a part of that family. We do it because there's some kind of a cultural obligation these days. But I can promise you many, many people are not real thankful for their family. Several years ago, Susie's side of the family was having a large reunion type thing for Thanksgiving. So we went to it. And you know who we sat with? The same family we always sit with when it's a small gathering. So a couple of years ago, they were going to have another one of those, and I said, I'm not trying to be rude, I'm not trying to be ugly, but I'm, I'm not going. Because we'll go and we'll sit with the same people we would sit with if we didn't go to that setting. So for us to go and pretend like we're all some big happy family, I don't even know most of these people, these people don't know me, and it's really not the Norman Rockwell scene that we would like to envision it being in our lives. I, I, it seems like this is rubbing some people wrong, but let's just be honest about it. It's not the most glorious affair sometimes when we get all the family together. There have been many occasions I've asked my parents, they're not going to be there, are they? Well, we have to invite them. Okay. That's how we feel about family in many regards. Now, I, I say all that to say this. There are people, even in this church, who if they were honest, they'd have to say something like this. Yeah, my blood family doesn't really, like, light my match. It, it doesn't really get me too excited. It doesn't get me too worked up. The idea of getting together with my family, it doesn't really thrill me. I understand I think the Apostle Paul would say something like this. Hey, I got you. I get it. I've never spent Thanksgiving with my family either. I've always been traveling. I've always been busy. I've always been doing something. The Apostle Paul would understand. And, and the problem with that is this. Even though we're not real close to them, even though we're not you know, real connected with them, because culture says it's all about family, it's easy sometimes to begin thinking, well, maybe I'm the messed one, you know, the one that's messed up. Maybe I'm the weird one. Maybe we're just crazy. Maybe we're just so dysfunctional that, that, that there's something really wrong with us. And, and maybe there's a part of truth too that I don't know but but here's what happens we began letting Satan mess with our minds and we think well because I'm not with family this Thanksgiving is going to stink that's not true you don't have to be with family in order to have a good Thanksgiving this year see you can be thankful this year if you spend Thanksgiving all by yourself. You can. It may happen to some this year. 
where it's just you and your spouse or you and just a couple of others. It, it may be a very, very simple Thanksgiving. It may be a large, elaborate Thanksgiving and you wishing it was small. But you can still be thankful. Not because it was the ideal, picture-perfect Thanksgiving meal and Thanksgiving day. But you know what you can sit back and be thankful for on Thanksgiving Day? It's called the church family. A church family. My family is crazy, someone may say. My family is nuts, they may say. I don't even enjoy being around my own family, some may say. That's unfortunate, but that may be the testimony of some. You know what you've got to be thankful for? A church family. A church family. No, they're not blood. No, they're not true kin. No, they're, they're not family as we describe family today. But you know, that, that's really my family down there at the church. Those are the ones that I'm really close to. Those are the ones that really know what's going on in my life. Those are the ones who pray for me. Those are the ones who encourage me. Those are the ones who strengthen me. Those are the ones who check on me when I'm down. Those are the ones who will give me a hard time when I'm getting a little big-headed because of some of my successes. Those are the ones who keep me in check. That's my real family down there at Grace Baptist. Friends, if you got that, you've got something to be thankful for on Thanksgiving Day. Now, here's what I know. I know that that's the testimony of some in this church. That I'm closer to many of the people in this church than I am my own relatives. If that's not your testimony, you're not sinful and wicked. I'm just saying that is the testimony of some. But let me just say this, not just in our church, but in churches all across the nation. There are people who would say things like this. I don't know why I'd be thankful for a church family. Church family isn't too special to me. <laughs> Church family hadn't been an encouragement to me. Church family hadn't picked me up when I was down. Church family hadn't been there to, to encourage me and to strengthen me and to support me and to, to be that friend to me. Church family hadn't been that way to my family. I wonder why. I wonder if it has anything to do with your level of investment in the church family. Because it's really not fair to expect to get any more out of the church family than you're willing to put into the church family. Church didn't, didn't, didn't check on me when I was sick. Yeah. There's a reason the church family isn't too special to you and you're, you're kind of bitter toward them. But it's kind of because you don't invest and put into the church family. So you've got something to be thankful for tonight. I've got something to be thankful for tonight. I can truly say like the Apostle Paul, I thank my God upon, well, not exactly like the Apostle Paul. I can thank my God upon most remembrances of you. <laughs> I can't say every remembrance. I mean, that'd be a lie, and you don't want me to lie from the pulpit. But, but you'd say that about me as your pastor. I, I thank the Lord for him most of the time. Now, he's a, a you know not so thankful every once in a while, but, you know, more times than not, 
I'm thankful for you, and I think more times than not, you seem to be thankful for me. But, but we don't have that relationship on accident. I think I've put some things into the relationship, and as a result, I've gotten some things out of it. And many of you have put things into the relationship, and as a result, you've gotten some things out of it. Out of it. And, and because of that, we're able to say, man, I thank the Lord for my church family. Now, I just want to say this. If tonight you can't sit here and honestly say, man, I'm thankful for my church family, it's probably not the church family's fault. It's probably not the church family's fault if you can't sit here and say, I'm so thankful for my church family. It probably has a whole lot to do with the fact that you haven't put a whole lot into it. That's just food for thought. But here the Apostle Paul is. We don't know anything about his family. It doesn't seem to be anything that was really a key, intricate, important part of his life. But he was thankful for some fellow believers there in Philippi. This month, come Thanksgiving, if you're sitting there eating a bologna sandwich again, and your leftovers are peanut butter, you can still be grateful, and you can still be thankful for a church family where you are loved, where you enjoy the fellowship, where you have all these things available to you, but you'll only be thankful for the church family that you are truly a part of and contributing to. And without that, Thanksgiving can come by, and you won't even be thankful for the church that you're a part of. And how sad and how pathetic would that be? Let's all stand this evening and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you'd help us this evening to be men and women, and young people even, who are thankful for our church family. Lord, there was no perfect person in the church in Philippi. There is no perfect person in the church that we are a part of today. 